Hi, everyone, and welcome to the From the Hack podcast for week 16 of the 2018-2019 curling season. There are two big events happening this week, with the Canada Cup taking place in Estevan, Saskatchewan, and the second leg of the Curling World Cup taking place in Omaha, Nebraska. This week, we have a special contributor with 11-year-old Katrina Ferlan of the Lazy Handle YouTube show, joining us to interview Joanne Courtney and Ben Hebert in the lead-up to the Canada Cup, and then I discuss the second leg of the Curling World Cup taking place in Omaha with Tracy Fleury, Jamie Sinclair, and curling broadcaster, announcer, and journalist Don Landry. All that and more this week, but first, Canadian musician and non-curler extraordinaire Jimmy Reed plays us into the podcast. So before we get started, if you've ever wondered how they get those nice graphics into the ice at Grand Slams at the World Championships and at Nationals in Canada and the U.S., well, the answer is provided by Jedi's, whose in-ice graphics from Easy and Textile logos to the world-famous Jedi's Full House product are great ways for clubs to enhance the appearance of their ice and to generate much-needed additional sponsorship revenues. Easy and Textile logos are the industry standard for high-quality logos and they're a snap to install. Meanwhile, Jedi's customizable Full Houses are a relatively new way for clubs to grow sponsorship revenues by offering maximum brand recognition to those sponsors. No one can match Jedi's design services, quick turnaround times, and product quality, which is why Jedi's products are valued by major organizations such as Curling Canada, the World Curling Federation, USA Curling, and Sportsnet, who trust Jedi's to provide the products they require for their high-profile events. Jedi's. They bring ice to life. Arnold Ashton's passion for curling, along with his natural propensity to explore new ways to better the game, led him to a whole new world of product design. As a result, all Ashton Curling Supplies products are designed with the curler in mind. Ashton's patented ultralight RDS technology makes it possible to change and customize their slider with any combination of sliding discs. With equal resistance on all sides, the circular design that guarantees a straight slide. These circles have also been designed larger and with stabilizing bars from the outer unit sole to produce the most stable straight sliding shoe the world has ever seen. Go to www.ashim.com for brooms, apparel, and revolutionary designed footwear. And if you're considering buying new curling shoes, you must consider the rotator sole. It's the sole of the future. From the Hacks recap of week 16 of the 2018-2019 curling season is powered by The Curling Zone, your premier source for curling results from around the world. Visit us at www.curlingzone.com. It was a modestly busy weekend on the World Curling Tour with most of the top teams in the world either preparing for the Canada Cup, the Curling World Cup, or taking a breather after the European Championship. The headline event of the weekend was the Curl Masabi event in Minnesota, where Krista McCarvel and her team from Thunder Bay defeated 2018 Canadian junior finalist Laurie St. George 7-1 in the final. In the men's event, it was reigning U.S. national champion Rich Runen defeating Mark Fenner in the final by a score of 9-3. Glenn Howard and his team continued their strong play this season, this time with Glenn himself in the lineup, as they defeated Tanner Horgan 6-3 to win the Nissan Curling Classic in Paris, Ontario. Meanwhile, about 100 kilometers away in Listowel, Ontario, Justin Murphy defeated Kathy Auld 5-4 in the Listowel Curling Classic. Finally, in two other men's events this weekend, Steve Monroe defeated Alec Bedard 4-3 in the Finale de Circuit in Sorrel Tracy, Quebec, and in the final of the Thistle Integrity Stakes in Winnipeg, Braden Calvert defeated Tanner Lott 5-1. From the Hack Thought, we take a different approach to preview the 2018 Home Hardware Canada Cup this season, so we invited 11-year-old Christina Furland, Curling's very own YouTube sensation, and host of the Lazy Handle Show to interview one member from each team that won last year's event, which, in an Olympic season, happened to be the Olympic Trials. 
Christina's first guest was Olympian Joanne Courtney of Team Homan, who shares some memories about her junior career, but also discusses how the Olympics made Team Homan an even tighter unit, and how the team approaches and prepares for important events, such as the Canada Cup. So most curlers start playing in juniors. Who is your favorite junior coach, and can you speak a little bit about why you like them so much, and what you learned from him or her? Well, that's a great question, Katrina. Um... I think my favorite coach from when I was in juniors was a guy by the name of Gord Trenchy. Um, so he played uh, back in the day, I think he played with Randy Furby, and he also played with Marcel Rock. So those are two kind of big Alberta curlers that I looked up to uh, as a junior. So he worked with our team for a little portion of the season. Um, but after we were kind of done working with him, he reached out to me directly and said he saw something in me. Um, that impressed him, um, just my work ethic, my intensity. And he actually offered to kind of help mentor me um, in addition to what I was doing with my own team. So he was kind of the first guy that took me out on the ice one-on-one on a regular basis and, you know, helped mold me into uh, the curler that I am today. So he was a really great influence on me. and I'm actually still in touch with him periodically to this day. All righty. And what was a hard lesson you learned as a junior after maybe a tough loss? Oh, so many tough losses as a junior. I actually, um, I lost the provincial final three times, and we won it one time. And uh, the one time we did go to nationals, uh, we were in a position where if we won, I think, any one of our last four or five games, we would have been through to playoffs. And we actually ended up going on quite the losing streak to kind of finish out our week. So um, I think the toughest lesson that we learned through that experience was, you know, no matter how you start at an event, it's, it's really important to make sure that you finish off the week. And um, I think we got maybe a little bit too confident and assumed that the wins would come. Um, but I think that the biggest lesson we learned there was just that we had to keep our heads down and work hard because nothing's ever guaranteed and, and you got to work hard for every point on the board. Yeah, for sure. First so this is your fifth time. season with Team Holman. How do you think your team has changed over the years since you started with them? Oh, I think it's changed a lot. I mean, for me personally, that first year was was a huge transition. I, you know, had to, to get to know the girls and and to change a few things about how I threw the rock. And, and just being a new member of a team, it kind of changes the way that you play the game because you've got to figure out what your role is and how you're going to contribute. So. That, that growing period was, was a tough but really re- rewarding experience, and I think I came out a much better curler um, and person because of it. So um, for me, over the last five years, the, the team has become, you know, like three extra sisters that I have. Um, we're, we're very close. We, we, you know, celebrate the wins and the losses and the great parts of life and the tough parts too. So that's, that's turned into to a, a really great connection uh, and a great bond. Um, and I think we've tried to, to grow our own game and, and push the sport. Uh, it's really exciting to see where the game's going with Five Rock Rule. And while we, the team was known as being you know, quite strong with, with the hitting game and the upweight stuff, we're trying to, to push and develop ourselves into the more finesse side of things. So I think that that's the direction that we're trying to go in with our new coach, Marcel Rock. And, and I think it's, it's been exciting so far, and we've had some good results. Last season, you and the rest of Team Homa became Olympians. What is the one thing you learned about yourself and your team during the Olympics? Well, we learned so much throughout that whole experience. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I, I got to take home from our Olympic experience was just um, 
the perspective and and how amazing it was to get to to represent our sport on the international stage, you know, on the biggest stage in sports. Um, once we were, our backs were truly against the wall at, at 0-3, uh, we had this, this moment where we got to go see our families at Canada House and to get to take a step back and hang out with my parents and my husband and, you know, my brother and sister and, and, and get to just see how, how far we've come and, and how big the sport has grown. Uh, that perspective was, was an amazing, amazing experience and I think it helped us kind of, you know, pull ourselves together and give ourselves a fighting chance. What does the week before a big event like the Canada Cup look like for you and Team Holman? Do you get together for practice? Do you meet with your coach? That's a great question. Um, so the Canada Cup is is a you know, he's this huge event. You, you're playing against only Canadian teams. It's a it's a great dry run for the trials, which I know it's only it's it's four years away. But every time we get a Canada Cup, we want to perform well. So uh, it's. We're back to 10 in games, and we play two games a day, which is more intense than the slam schedule. So we really put a huge priority in the week leading up to the Canada Cup on rest, so making sure that we're sleeping as much as we can, that we're, our bodies are, are as fueled as possible, and then just making sure that, obviously, our practice is where we want to be. So um, since we're playing in Estevan and it's out west, um, we're going to have a team training weekend in Edmonton because that's where our coach lives too. So everyone's going to fly in, and we'll have Saturday, Sunday, Monday to train and just make sure that we're all tuned up and ready to go, and then we'll head out to the event from there. Do you prepare a different plan or strategy for each game depending on who you play, or is it pretty much the same thing for each game? I think for the most part we try to play our game. Um, we're you know, focusing on what, what we're good at and where our strengths lie, and, and, and we try to play into that. Um, sometimes if we're told by our coach that a certain skip is struggling with, let's say, a turn or a type of shot, we may try to force the issue in that direction a little bit. But at the end of the day, um, if, if we're playing well, if we're, getting our right, if our, we're getting our rocks in the right spot, we've got a pretty good chance of coming out with the result that we want. In the Canada Cup, it's only the top Canadian teams competing. So some very strong teams will finish the tournament with some not very good records. Do you approach the Canada Cup any differently than any other event on tour? Um, I think it's because of the way the schedule worked out this year, we have a little bit of a break. So instead of, you know, we played a slam in Truro, and then we had a couple of days at home, and then we had to get together as a team again. It was a really fast turnaround. So um, the, that pace of, of the curling season, uh, we're a little bit lucky leading into the Canada Cup that we have a couple of weeks off. So I'd say absolutely we're approaching it just a little bit more like we would a major event. Um, like I said before, with the sleep and just making sure that everything is all tuned up and ready to go. Um, as you mentioned, there's so many great teams in Canada, and um, when we play on the World Curling Tour, sometimes we'll play a whole event and we'll only play one or two Canadian teams. So for us, we're excited to get maybe our first or only second look at, at certain teams uh, leading into the Canada Cup. Like, for example, I don't think we've played Jennifer Jones yet this year, so that's going to be a great game that we'll definitely look forward to. Can you tell us one thing about each of your teammates that people might not know? Okay, um, so starting off, Lisa Weagle, um, she, she's an amazing writer. So she works in communications with the government. Um, so anytime we need anything put together or our thoughts kind of organized in a concise and, um, and clear way, she's the one that kind of gets the, you know, the pulse of the situation and she's the one that gets us all on the same page and is able to communicate very effectively with our support team and, and those beyond. Um, so she's a really great quiet leader in, in that sense. Um, for Emma, she is brilliant. She actually has 
like a photographic memory. So as soon as we get off the ice and we're sitting in our debrief, if we're talking about a certain situation, she can remember where all the rocks were and what exactly was said and what we did, I mean, to a T. So it's incredible we tap into that a lot when we're, when we're trying to remember what happened out there. Um, and she can remember things from, you know, when she was 15 playing with Rachel. It's incredible. Um, and then for Rachel, I think, um, you know, we've talked about this a little bit, but she's hilarious. You know, she's got such a dry sense of humor, and she's very quick-witted. So often she'll just get us all cracked up and, and feeling nice and loose and ready to play. Awesome. Christina's next interview is with two-time Olympian and 2010 Olympic gold medalist Ben Hebert. And let's just say that she certainly turned the tables on the host of the Sheet Show. So your coach, Sean Dunn, is more of a mental coach than a technique coach. How does he help you prepare for the season and for specific important events like the Canada Cup? Yeah, John Dunn, um, you know, he's all about, uh, you know, the mental side of the game and, you know, making sure that everybody's in a good headspace, uh, you know, going into big events. And, you know, he... You know, he really puts into perspective uh, a lot of things, I guess, life stuff for us. Uh, you know, uh, he does a really good job of, uh, you know, comparing things to other sports, you know, showing us, uh, you know, the difference between, you know, whether it be rugby or golf or, or boxing or, you know, he does a lot of military things with the curling and he tries to find similarities for us uh, that we can <clears throat> that we can focus on to kind of relate into our sport and, He's just great for he's just great for our team. You know, he's 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 a great guy. You know, really really smart individual. He's been with Kevin for a long time, so Kevin had a lot of trust in him. And then, and then playing being our coach the last four years with uh, with Mark and Brent and Kevin, you know, he brought a lot. And so we thought with our new team, uh, you know, bringing four guys together um, to become kind of one unit. That's kind of his specialty. And so we thought he thought he'd be great for for BJ and Colton, those two young guys coming on the team and. Yeah, he knows the importance of uh, the big events, and certainly we're going to use them this week to uh, get mentally prepared for the Canada Cup. Yeah, awesome. Slam and regular to tour events are eight ends, but the Canada Cup and Briar are ten ends. Which format do you like better? And do you think do you ever think all events will be eight ends only? Um, that's a good question. Um, <clears throat> I think that. Um, I, I don't mind either. Uh, you know, I'm a little bit of a traditionalist of the game. I guess I'm dating myself because I'm older. But, uh, you know, I've always had good success in 10-end events, and, and I really do like them. Um, but I think the way the game's going and to try to probably get every event on the same page, uh, with the five-rock rule now, I think that makes a big difference that in a 10-end game you probably get a couple wasted ends where teams will hit to save some time or, or whatever it may be and then you end up probably only curling for eight ends anyways or seven ends. So I think that uh, with the five rock rule now and you can get a ton of rocks in play and you can get into the action in the first end, I do think the game will trend towards eight ends uh, eventually. I'm not sure when, but I think that uh, that's where it's probably going to end up. Okay. And last year you went to the Olympics for the second time. In 2010, you won a gold medal. Last year you came really close but didn't win a medal. Besides the actual results, how were your two Olympic experiences similar, and how were they different? Well, I think that, um, I mean, anytime you can go to the Olympics, if you've talked to any of the curlers or any athletes at, at any Olympic Games, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to have a negative experience. I mean, obviously the result in Pyeongchang was, was a negative experience, and, you know, I don't, uh, didn't think that that was going to happen. I don't think anybody else did either, but the Olympic Games themselves were absolutely amazing. I think, uh, you know, this time going to the Olympics when I was – 34 years old, 
you know, I have a wife and kids now, and so it's kind of, you know, you put things into perspective and you get to have your family there, and, you know, I think you appreciate it a little bit more um, just as the game's got really tough to win with all the good young and up-and-coming teams and the great competition at the top of the game. So I think it's uh, it's really hard to be good for a long, long time with everyone trying to knock you off. And so, you know, that was uh, – it was pretty special to get back there and, you know, seeing all the other athletes at the village or even at the airport when we got there, uh, you know, the same athletes that were there with myself and Mark in 2010 – you know, that was really cool to head back and, you know, reminisce with them about Vancouver. And then, obviously, me and Mark not making it to Sochi, but then back for Pyeongchang and to see how many athletes are still the same. You know, that was really special. And, and being able to spend it with my family coming over and some friends came over to, to Korea to take it all in. Yeah, the Olympics is just an amazing experience. Uh, as far as Vancouver went, you know, it was a little bit of a dream, you know, scenario for us. We, we got to go represent Canada in our home country. So that was very easy. There was no travel. There was nothing uh, tough for families to figure out to get places to stay. Flights and tickets was very, very easy and simple. So that stuff was taken care of. And, you know, we were by far heads and away the best team there. That was eight years ago, and the game's changed so much in eight years. And I think, uh, you know, we were one of the teams certainly at that time that forced teams into putting a lot of time into the game and, you know, uh, you know, putting all the extra work in, not just uh, on the ice but off the ice and mental training, all that kind of things that make all the teams so great today. And I think, uh, you know, we were expected to win in Vancouver, and we played great and kind of everything went our way. You know, we had a couple teams that didn't play that good against us. You know, the ice was really good. We loved the rocks. We were comfortable. And so it kind of went how it should have. And, I mean, in Korea, we certainly weren't expected to win gold. I think we were probably expected to win gold or silver. Nicholas Adin, uh, you know, is a really tough team anytime you play him. Uh, you know, you're going to – be 50-50 with him, so I think but we should have probably been in that final, but that's why they play sports, and, you know, we got upset by a, by another team, and so be it, but both experiences were amazing, you know, now that I've had some time to cool off after that that loss, um, you know, you look back, it is still a good experience, but, uh, yeah, anytime you get the Olympic Games, I recommend you try to go. So tell us something you learned about Colton Flash and BJ Newfield that you didn't know before they joined Team Cooey. <laughs> Oh, I, I, I probably have a list. Well, I, I didn't realize how, how great of a player BJ was. You know, I always knew he was a top third, and I did get to play a couple games with him. Um, and, you know, playing with Mark Kennedy for all those years, you know, of course you play with somebody that, you know, you think is, is the best at that position. And, you know, I'm sure that, uh, you know, Ryan Fry and Mark Nichols and Mark Kennedy and BJ all, you know, they've been known as probably the top, you know, an Oscar but, you know, playing with BJ and seeing his work ethic and how much of a professional he is and how serious he takes the game and how smart he is, uh, you know, I've been really, really impressed just with his, his shot making. I think he's probably been probably been our best player so far this year. And uh, he's, really, uh, he's really helped the team, you know, focus on what we need to focus on, positive attitude. And, yeah, he's been, uh, he's been a total treat to play with. And, you know, you don't always see that from – when you, you compete against someone, right, you can see them play a couple good games or play a couple bad games, and so you don't really know what to expect. But uh, how, how consistent BJ is and how he approaches the game has really impressed me. It's been, uh, it's been a treat to curl with him so far. And as far as Flash, I learn something new every day about Flash. You know, he's a, he's a funny guy. I mean, he's, he's 27 years old, so, I mean, he's, uh, 
he really freshens things up for the guys. He makes me feel old with, uh, you know, the, the stuff that he talks about and that he cares about. But I'm, you know, I'm sure we were all the same when we were 27 years old. But, you know, he's a good, uh, he's a great teammate. I didn't realize how, how organized uh, he would be with his, uh, I guess, with his life for being a 27-year-old bachelor. Everything he's very anal about a lot of things. He likes to have things in place. Very organized fella. And, uh, you know, he, he's a breath of fresh air for the team. You know, he keeps things, keeps things light, you know, tries to keep the guys young. And, you know, he does, uh, he's a really, really hard worker. Uh, you know, if he was, uh, <clears throat> if he was struggling with something early in the year, he's the first guy to be back out on the ice, you know, practicing that to make sure that uh, it's fixed for the next event. And the other thing I, I, I learned about Colton is that he's probably a stronger sweeper than me. It's probably the first time I've had a teammate that can outsweep me. So, uh, that's nice to have a big, strong ox like that on the team, but uh, they've both been awesome to curl with so far, and we've had a great start to the season. Awesome. So you played 12 straight seasons with Mark Kennedy. How strange was it at the start of the season to not see him on the ice with you, and what do you miss the most about Mark, and what do you miss the least? <laughs> Holy moly. <laughs> um, well... You know, it wasn't – I didn't find it strange being on the ice without Mark. I, uh, You know, when he originally quit, obviously I was a little bit upset and, you know, trying to find a team. But, you know, I think Mark probably, you know, he wanted to refresh and take a year off, you know, maybe because of me. Who, who knows what the the reason was, if it was because he wanted a break of certain things or an injury or, you know. But, uh, you know, playing with new guys is always fun. You know, we got to play in the TSM Skins game a few years with different players and, it's always exciting, and you know I've been lucky enough to play in a couple of Continental Cups with different teams, and you know you get a, you know a little little fresh vibe of playing with new guys. So you know I wasn't uh, I didn't find it weird to be to be out playing with Mark. I mean, you know we're we're really uh, getting into the the meat of our season here, and so uh, we've had to be taking every event pretty seriously and be focused on getting better on our team itself. So no real time to dwell on uh, you know former teammates and them being gone. So. But uh, you know what do I what do I miss and and not miss about him? You know, I mean, he's one of my best friends, right? So for me, I just kind of miss uh, you know having you don't get to see your buddy all the time. You know, he's in Edmonton, I'm in Calgary. He's really busy with his family. I'm busy with mine, and so I obviously don't get to see him very much. So I think just in general, I just I just miss him as a person. Um, you know, obviously the curling speaks for itself. He's he's an amazing player, and things I don't miss about him are probably the same things I miss about him. Just just him as a person. I mean. <laughs> We curled together for 12 years. We were like brothers, and so, you know, I love him, and there's a lot of things I love about him and a lot of things I hate about him, but, uh, you know, that, that's just kind of what happens when you curl your whole life with somebody. But uh, it's uh, it's been a good change for me, and, you know, I hope he's doing well, and it sounds like he's coming back for an event here, so I'll get to see him next week, but uh, hopefully we, we, we give him the beat down. Awesome. And you have won just about everything there is to winning curls, an Olympic gold, two world championships, three briars, two Olympic trials, 12 grands. Slams and the first ever curling World Cup event. What keeps you motivated at this point in your curling career? Well, when you say I've won just about everything, did you mean I've won everything? Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I'm just, I'm just kidding. I haven't, you know. I've never won the Portage Bond Spiel. I lost the final four times, though. We were, we were mm-hmm. talking about that this year. I lost, I've lost the Portage final four times, so i got to try to win that one yet. But what keeps me motivated, I just... Um, I love I love the competitive nature of any sport. You know, I'm a pretty competitive guy, whether it be, you know, playing tennis or playing rec hockey or whatever with my buddies playing cards. And, you know, I think that uh, I've developed a skill set to be 
you know, one of the best leads in the game and, you know, carved out a little niche for myself as that. And, you know, there's a lot of good leads coming up and some good players that uh, I like to challenge my skills against. And I think that's what keeps me motivated, obviously winning. You know, there's only uh, there's only so many things, I think, in life that can get you get you that pumped up or that excited over certain things. And, you know, whether that be, you know, work for some people or sports for others or family, whatever it may be for me, you know, uh, curling at a high level against the top teams and, uh, you know, testing your skills against them all the time to see where you're at is, uh, is a lucky is a lucky thing that I get to do. And, you know, that's why I love it. I'm going to do it until, uh, until I can't do it competitively anymore. So hopefully I have quite a few years left, but I guess we'll see how that goes. And with the early successes and overall strong play of your team, Team Epping and Team Anderson, do we make too much of team chemistry at the highest levels of the game? No, absolutely not. Team chemistry is a big, big thing. I think, um, you know, like we talked about John Dunn uh, earlier on your first question there, and, you know, he that's kind of his main, main role is to make sure our team chemistry is where it needs to be and everyone is doing the right things to make everybody better. And I think uh, you don't see very many teams these days where the team chemistry isn't good and teams are successful. You know, there's always some, you know, some things that maybe nag on teammates here or then, but that's just uh, – that's just the, the life we live of being around the same people all the time. But team chemistry is huge. And if you have that team chemistry and you have each other's support and you have each other's back, good or bad, I think uh, your team's definitely going to be better. And obviously it's it's definitely easier to be that way when you're winning and things are successful. But even when things are uh, not going good, uh, you know you know you got to be supportive and you just try to get you got to try to get better. And I mean I think that was probably something that I wasn't great at early in my career. But you know now having Colton on the team and guy like BJ and, you know, trying to be supportive of Kevin like I always have. You know, I'm continually trying to improve on that to try to make sure I can make my teammates better uh, in any situation. And I think, obviously, Epping's had a great start to the year. Their team chemistry seems really good. And, yeah, with Anderson's team there um, and the four skips trying to figure things out, seems like they've found their way. But, uh, you know, there's so many good teams that have good chemistry out there. And, and I think uh, all the top teams that you do see having success uh, have really good team chemistry because it's really tough to win these days if you don't. Yeah, for sure. And can you share one or two funny stories from when you have filmed The Sheet Show? The Sheet Show. Have you seen my show? Yeah, I watched it. I've seen your show. It's pretty good. I watched it. You do a really good yeah, job. You're pretty uh, You're pretty smart about the curling there. I don't want to get into a stats uh, competition with you about the curling records. I'll tell you that. <laughs> um, as far as The Sheet Show goes, it's kind of funny how that started taken on a little bit of life of its own after, but Jen and Christy at the Grand Slams at First Sportsnet there, they just asked me to take a mic around and go, you know, chat with some curlers and ask some funny questions and trying to lighten it up a little bit, not always about curling, but current events and joke around, and so I did it, and, you know, the first one kind of was a success, and so then we, we try to do it two or three times a season now, and people always ask me when I'm doing the next one, so it's a lot of fun, but uh, I think the funniest stories I have, I mean, the players have been outstanding, everybody's... Uh, you know, been really good about doing some of it, and I think it's great that we get to do these interviews, and Sportsnet shows it on their their website and on TV, and we get more exposure for the players and more exposure for the sponsors and that kind of stuff. But at first, everyone was kind of like, oh, I don't want to be on it. He's going to ask me something silly. But then but then now everyone's kind of like, hey, when am I going to get on the show? When do I get to get on the show? So it's been exciting. But I would say the, the funniest things that happen, you don't get to see because they edit them. But it's probably me screwing up my lines or – screwing up my intro or forgetting the questions and having to ask the camera guy the questions. I mean, 
the people that have done the interviews, you know, they're great and they've thrown some funny, uh, you know, answers back at me and then you get to see my reply that's in the show. But I think probably the best stuff is, like, I'm, I'm certainly not a certi certified uh, interviewer by any stretch of the imagination and so if they ever showed a live sheet show, it wouldn't be near as good because mostly it would just be me screwing up my lines and messing things up. My first couple times I have to do the intro and outro, it probably took, uh, I don't know, it probably took me five or six takes. So I'm, I'm getting a little bit better at it, but I'm not a professional yet. But, uh, you know, that's probably the, the funniest stuff that happens when we shoot it. If you're looking to buy some new curling equipment, look no further than Hardline Curling. For those who play with the ice pad, they know it's the best curling brush. Whether it's the U.S. Olympic gold medalist Team Schuster or women's Olympic gold medalist Sweden's Team Hasselberg and their countrymen Team Adine, or how about the top Canadian teams Team Gushu, Kevin Cooey, Brad Jacobs, Team Carruthers, Kerry Anderson and Chelsea Carey. The list is endless. And Hardline is not just curling brooms. They offer a full range of curling equipment to get you playing your best, including shoes, apparel and the Pro Slide Delivery Aid designed by Reed Carruthers. Visit their website at www.hardlinecurling.com and see why the top teams in the world choose Hardline for their equipment needs. The second leg of the Curling World Cup takes place this week in Omaha, Nebraska. From the hat caught up with Jamie Sinclair and Tracy Fleury, who will lead their respective teams into the event. Sinclair, whose team is working through a somewhat unexpected rebuilding season after winning the Players' Championship last season, joined from the hack to discuss the challenges of developing quick chemistry with a new lineup, and we also discuss how pumped she is to be the home team for this second leg of the World Cup. Jamie, you ended last season and the Olympic cycle on an upward trajectory, winning nationals, coming this close to a podium finish at the Worlds, and winning the Players' Championship. Most curling observers had your team as one to watch heading into the season. Then came word that Vicky Persinger was moving to play third for Team Christensen, and then early in the season, Alex Carlson announced she was expecting a child and stepped away from the team for a while. How deflating was it to go from that high at the end of last season to basically rebuilding a new lineup, which, as you know from experience, can take a year or more to fully gel? Yeah, I think that, obviously, the we finished off the season on a great note, and there was a lot of good momentum coming into this season. Um, and I I mean, being honest, there was a lot more changes than I thought than I thought were going to happen. <laughs> uh, so a lot more to, to deal with uh, at the beginning of the season than we were kind of anticipating. So definitely uh, an adjustment. And I think that, um, you know, we kind of just had to take a step back and, and look at it realistically. We're, we're basically we're starting over with a brand new team now, bringing on both of uh, the Anderson twins. So it's the beginning of the season. It's just been a process, of, a slow process of, uh, just trying to figure out who we are as a team, our team identity, um, you know, working on basics of delivery to try to throw the same um, communication on the ice. It's really, um, we're starting over. So it, 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 uh, it's taken us a while, but, uh, you know, every event that we're playing in, we're, we're taking a step in the right direction. And getting used to new teammates is not foreign to you as you've had to adapt to several different lineups over the past five years or so. Has your previous experience with lineup changes and new teammates helped you lead this new lineup through the process that is ongoing this season? Yeah, you have a you have a good point. <laughs> I definitely have experience um, playing with uh, adjusting to new players on a team. As there's been a lot of mix-ups uh, over the year, but um, yeah, I think that it, all of that it, it's taught me a lot. It's taught me um, a lot about you know just relationships with people, building those. Um, from scratch and how to be a leader uh, on the team. I, I like to think that, you know, I've kind of d 
developed in, into uh, a little bit of a, of a leader on the team. So um, I, I've definitely learned a lot in the process, and I think that I've been able to, to apply those lessons to all the new players that I'm put with. <laughs> I'm not going to ask you about your record and results so far this season because that can be deceiving with a new lineup. I'm more interested in your progression both on and off the ice so far this season with this new team. Yeah, I think we're in a really good spot right now. The beginning of the season was a little bit of a roller coaster because there was a lot of mixed doubles happening. So there was, um, we had Alex playing for some events, Sarah was away playing mixed doubles with Corey. So um, we were kind of changing lineups every event. So these past two, three events, we've had our lineup that we're going to be using for the rest of the season. And um, so we finally, you know, got into a good spot there as far as team dynamics, team systems, and all that. And then uh, we've also, throughout the season, up until now, we've been doing a ton of work just on mechanics and trying to get everybody with a somewhat similar delivery so that it's a little bit easier on, on the team as a whole. And uh, we finally got into a really good spot where we're feeling comfortable. It's starting to feel feel a little bit more natural for everybody. So um, I think that, you know, we kind of had to go through that nitty-gritty. But right now, I think that we finally got to a good spot where we can start expecting a little bit more as far as, you know, shots being made and, and having the right communication on shots to get the most out of everything, you know. So I think things are, are starting now. I think things are, are going to, you know, start uh, coming our way. <laughs> and finally, Jamie, you'll be representing the U.S. in the second leg of the Curling World Cup in Omaha, Nebraska this week. How pumped are you to be representing the U.S. on home soil in such a big event? Uh, I'm so excited to go to Omaha. I think, one, it's going to be just an unreal event being, you know, just the second World Cup ever so I'm I'm just super excited to be a part of that and then of course being on our home turf I, I it's just going to be unreal to to be able to represent the United States in the U.S. Um, having a crowd on our side it's just I, I can't wait I don't really know what to expect because obviously it's my first one <laughs> but uh, I just can't wait Tracy Fleury and her new team will be representing Canada at the Curling World Cup, having made the decision that they would rather represent Canada in Omaha than participate in the Canada Cup, especially in a year where the stakes at the Canada Cup are not as great as they will be in the next two seasons. Fleury joined from the hack to discuss adapting to a new team and how excited the team is to represent Canada in Omaha. Tracy, your team has been on a steady upward trajectory since the start of the season with a slam final appearance in your last event. How happy have you been with the team's progress so far? We're happy so far. Uh, we feel like there's been steady improvement throughout the season. The start of the season, maybe uh, we didn't come out as strong as we would have hoped. Um, I think we had some high expectations and then had like somewhat of a slow start to the season. But th- these last couple of events have been really good and uh, we feel like everything's coming together at the right time. Many players are having to adapt to new teams this season, but I'm wondering in your case if you've been aided a little bit by the fact that the rest of the team knows each other so well. I'm guessing that Selena and the others have been able to share their tendencies and stuff with you from the outset, so the learning curve may not have been as big as it would have otherwise been for you. It was definitely helpful that the other three have so much experience together um, so that we already had a really good uh, foundation for this team. Um, And I think for us, the team dynamic side of things was really great right from the start and uh, the girls like they welcomed me to the team and they've really been great Um, but earlier in the season I found um, I wasn't playing as well as I'm used to so it definitely took me a bit more time personally to adjust to a new team because I had played with my old team for so long 
and you combine that with not having practice ice for your first four events, so it kind of makes for a little bit of a slow start, but uh, definitely finding our groove now later into the season. As you just mentioned, you'd spent a number of years playing with a Sudbury-based team, except for a couple of seasons when Crystal Webster joined your team to create a five-person unit. You got to practice and to travel to events with your teammates. How has this new setup changed your routine, and what kind of impact has it had on you early this season? It's different for sure, um, but our team tried to do a good job of keeping in touch and communicating um, between our events. And, uh, yeah, the travel side of things definitely gets a little bit lonely at times, and uh, practicing is now a bit different for me back home, but at least I have a lot of uh, resources here in Sudbury and people to practice with, like my siblings and and such. So, uh, yeah, it's different, but uh, adjusting. Uh, Teresa, I've heard a lot of people in the curling community tell me that despite the success your teammates had with Carrie Anderson, your style of play is a better fit for this team. Did you and the team talk about the style of play you prefer and the strategy and approach you like before hitting the ice, or is that still very much a work in progress? Yeah, I think it was a good fit right from the start, and I knew these girls a little bit um, already from uh, playing against them on tour for several years, and I think personality-wise, we really gel well together, so it was... uh, Definitely a smooth transition, and uh, yeah, I think we're uh, really starting to get on the same page uh, strategy-wise and game plan-wise, game plan so um, yeah, it's just making us stronger as a team. So you and the team are headed to Omaha, Nebraska this week for the second leg of this season's Curling World Cup. I believe that this is one of the first times that you will get to wear the Maple Leaf. How pumped are you to be representing Canada at the Curling World Cup in Omaha? Yeah, I personally haven't had many opportunities, just one, just um, an international feel in China, I think 2013, uh, where we represented Canada there, but it's definitely special when uh, you have the opportunity to represent your country, and I think that's one of the things that drew us towards this event uh, versus the Canada Cup, is uh, the opportunity to represent Canada and do something a little bit uh, different. We had all played the Canada Cup before, and we saw this as a new opportunity for us. And finally, Tracy, we are approaching the midway point of the season, and your team has already played a bunch. Just wondering what your schedule looks like moving forward. So after the next slam, it's a bit of a break uh, over the holidays, so we'll mostly just be practicing um, and stuff with, and not really competing too much until the uh, next slam in January. Um, and then we have provincials a couple weeks after that, and um, then the skins game, uh, which we're really excited about. That's the first time for all of us playing that, so that'll be cool. And uh, yeah, and then after that, we'll see uh, what comes next, and it'll kind of depend on our points, whether we get into the players and stuff like that. But yeah, still a lot of big events uh, left for this season. Our final guest this week is curling broadcaster, announcer, and journalist Don Landry, who has been doing work for the World Curling Federation. He was at the first leg in Suzhou and will be in Omaha for the second leg this week. Landry joined from the hack to discuss the World Cup concept, the different rules that the World Curling Federation has incorporated into the events, and also to discuss a few of the top stories heading into Omaha. Don, you were at the first leg of the Curling World Cup earlier this season in Suzhou, China, doing some work for the World Curling Federation. What were your first impressions of that first ever Curling World Cup? Curlers seem to really enjoy it, and uh, why wouldn't you? Uh, the way the event was presented, uh, the way uh, Chinese officials put it together, the amount of money they sunk into it, uh, the organization of it was just fantastic. Everyone was treated so very well. They were you know, put up in great accommodations. Uh, fed it about, uh, you know, with dinners and things like that, and then 
the uh, the facilities were phenomenal. It's uh, an Olympic park that was built in Suzhou to the tune of about $1.6 billion, and it, it has everything that you would think an Olympic park would have uh, outside of the venue where the curling was held, which is really a basketball center. Um, the, you know, an aquatic center is there and in an, uh, a big outdoor stadium. Beautiful area, beautiful facilities. They brought in, um, you know, ice-making uh, equipment and dehumidification, which they needed, uh, for about another million and a half dollars, and, uh, and so everyone was treated well. The ice was pretty good considering it wasn't, you know, uh, an indoor winter facility, and it was 35 degrees outside every day with the Humidex pushing 40. I thought Hans Butrick, uh, the ice maker, did a wonderful job with it, and we ended up seeing some pretty good games. The World Curling Federation implemented a couple of interesting tweaks to the format and rules for the World Cup events, including a double round robin and also a maximum thinking time per end as opposed to total thinking time for a game. How did the players seem to deal with these rule changes? Well, I didn't hear any complaints about it, uh, and I think curlers are like anybody else. Uh, they love their game, but they don't mind you know, uh, adding a little spice to things every once in a while, but particularly when you're talking about events. This isn't a briar or a Scotties or a World Championships, okay? So, you know, tinkering with that, you might meet with some resistance. But when you're playing something like this at the beginning of the season, I think they were well open to it. And uh, and some of them, you know, talked about the format as being, you know, a breath of fresh air. And, uh, you know, uh, you could talk about mixed doubles. Uh, Laura Walker, uh, she liked it a lot. She called it cutthroat because you have to finish first in your pool. And, and Kirk Myers, her partner in mixed doubles, said, you know, it's pretty savage. They really enjoyed that. So uh, as, a, as an observer, I liked it too. I, I liked the fact that they were going to play each other twice and you were going to go right to the championship, uh, and that was it. You weren't going to wind your way through the playoffs. Not that I don't enjoy those playoffs when I'm watching some of the other events that I mentioned a second ago, but this was a nice breath of fresh air, and I, I do think the players enjoyed it. Um, and as, a, as an observer, uh, the, the change to thinking time, where it was four minutes per end and that's it. You can't, you know, you use it or you lose it. You can't bank it. I love that. Um, and, and I think what it does potentially is take away those tacit agreements you have sometimes, certainly in 10-end games, but sometimes in 8-end games as well, where the, both teams go, oh, let's maybe play clean for the first couple of ends and we'll bank time for, you know, the, the critical, crucial, and complicated shots that we have later. None of that here. You get time per end. It's gone. They reset the clock. So it's four minutes for the first four ends and then four minutes and 15 seconds for uh, ends five through eight. And, a little, and shorter than that for mixed doubles. I think it's um, 2.50 or 2.45 or something for uh, the first few ends, the first four ends, and then three minutes for ends five through eight. I thought that was a great improvement. Fun to watch. And uh, another one, three points for a win. Unless it's tied and you have to go to the shootout, the draw to the button to decide a winner, in that case, the winner gets two points and the loser gets one. So those were a few of the changes, uh, although we have seen you know, draw to the button in some Grand Slam events too. So uh, that was a little bit more familiar to people. But uh, I think overall, an enjoyable event, certainly for spectators and I think for players too. From what you observed in China, do you think teams that played in the first leg of the World Cup and that are also competing in the second leg in Omaha will have an advantage after getting used to the adjusted thinking time per end, as an example? They might have a slight advantage just because they're used to it. I did see some teams run into, you know, uh, some, hey, hurry up, we got to go moments in these games simply because, you know, again, they couldn't bank time and they were squished a little bit. They're, 
So, and, and no timeouts, I should add that too. Coaches are allowed to talk to their teams after every end. Between ends, uh, they're near ice level, but there's no timeouts, no coaches coming out to do that. Um, you can have a timeout, but you can't have a coach coming out to talk about it. So um, I, I think a few of the teams were a little bit squished here and there. So those ones that are coming back, and you mentioned Nick Dean, Bruce Mowat was there, uh, Hasselborg, Kim, and Fujisawa. They, they, they're a little more used to it. So perhaps early on during the week, they might have a, a bit of a better gut for what the timing's like in these games. But overall, I don't think it'll be a huge difference. After all, it's still... You know, wait to broom, make your shots, and move on to the next game. Now, because of a scheduling conflict with the Canada Cup this season, the second leg of the Curling World Cup will not involve some of the more notable Canadian men's and women's teams, although Canada will be very well represented in Omaha by Team Fleury in the women's event and Team Gunlugson in the men's event, two teams that have a legitimate chance of winning the event. Do you think that interest in the World Cup might wane a little bit, considering that most Canadians will be focused on the Canada Cup in this event Saskatchewan as opposed to the Curling World Cup? No, I don't think that matters so much in Omaha, Nebraska. I think what matters in Omaha, Nebraska is that you have Jamie Sinclair there, and you do, um, you know, and that you have John Schuster, the Olympic gold medalist there, and they do. I, I think that's the most important thing. Those games will be more highly attended. It'll be more of a raucous arena. Uh, everybody else, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out on a limb here and, and suggest that most people in Omaha, Nebraska, would know, you know, John Schuster, and, and maybe they'll know Jamie Sinclair, but they won't know a lot of these other players. They'll learn about them as they go. And I, I would suggest that they might have had, you know, some of the casual fan might know more about Canadian curling. But I, I think as long as they have their homegrown stars, that's the big deal. That's what's going to help bring people in in Omaha, Nebraska, and hopefully uh, get them attached to the game. Um, and I think it's good for Canada to send a bunch of different teams all the time. Look, we certainly know who Tracy Fleury is. We certainly know the team that she's taken over, Carrie Anderson's old team, and we know that they are getting hot, and it's nice for them to get this kind of experience. And, and I think there's an understanding, too, that when you have the Canada Cup going on at the same time, that, yeah, the top teams are going to go to that. It's an established event. It's an important event for so many reasons. Um, so I, I think uh, we're still going to see a strong field. You've got uh, some of the teams that you've mentioned, Nick Dean is going to be there, Anna Hasselborg, that's the number one women's team in the world, and they're going to be playing in this thing. And, and you move on, and you'll have Thomas Allschrute there, who'll be a crowd favorite because, well, we know why, right? Because he's got charisma, and they have those pants, too, Frank. And so I think there's, there's plenty to dig into for this event, considering it's a neophyte series as well. Uh, you might be more concerned about what teams are there if you're six, seven years into this thing and it's established and you're not getting the top teams. But this is scheduling and this is a build and it's important, again, to get the colloquial teams in there, the stars that some people might know or care about. After all, Schuster's going to be able to bring uh, those Olympic medals and uh, and pass them around in the lobby. And uh, and I think that's going to be the biggest attractor for American curling fans at this event. Don, you just provided me with an interesting segue. Both Team Sinclair and Team Schuster will enter the second leg of the World Cup in Omaha in the midst of a slow-ish start to their respective seasons. Schuster and his team, who had to replace the now-retired Tyler George at third following last season, have qualified for the playoffs in most of their events, but have only reached one final and have yet to win a title so far this season. As for Team Sinclair, the reigning players' champions are in the midst of an unexpected rebuilding season, with Vicky Persinger moving on to another team, and Alex Carlson, who is expecting a child, also being a 
away from the team at this point. Do you believe the American teams will feel added pressure to do well in Omaha despite their slow starts this season? Or is this event being positioned as more of a celebration of curling in the U.S. after the successes of both teams last season? Well, I mean, it's going to be an important focus for sure, but let's not... Look, Americans like to win. They like to win at things, and so uh, this will be no exception. I think there will be pressure on both of those teams to do very well on home ice. They'll probably get pretty good crowds, I think, Um, and uh, they will expect this guy won a gold medal at the Olympics. Well, he should win this again. Jamie Sinclair, she won the Players' Championship. Once they learn a little bit more about what that is and who was involved in that, well, she should win this. And I don't think they'll care so much about or or, or uh, make an excuse for these teams to, due to the uh, the lineup changes you were talking about there. So let's not forget that uh, it's that's your goal is to win this, and it would certainly be a much more successful week for them if they did win. I think it'll be super uh, disappointing if uh, – if it, you, know, you don't have at least one of those teams in the final to make for a great final, and then you know they can have the solace of that. So I think there's pretty good pressure on those teams. I think it'll be a little bit more than just you know what I was talking about before. You know, standing in the lobby with your gold medal around your neck, or talking about how great American curling has become in the last uh, year or so, and, and look at everything that we've done. I think there'll only be so much forgiveness for that. It'll be a feel-good portion of the event, but it certainly won't be the main thrust. I don't think. The one team that sort of stands out from the field in Omaha is Team Hasselberg of Sweden, who won the Olympics last season and also finished second at the World Championships. And then this season, they've won two slams already, and they also won their first European Championship. Is it fair to say that Team Hasselberg might be the best we've seen in the women's game since Team Holman dominated a few seasons ago? Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I don't. We can't say it any more simply than this. It's the best women's team on the planet, unquestionably, right now, and has been for a while, and maybe just Think about this. They might just be getting better and getting really into a groove. Who knows how long it lasts? And, of course, it'll, there'll be those ups and downs, but uh, they've just been sensational, winning the European Championship, a couple of Grand Slams. Hey, they might have won three Grand Slams, possible, if they weren't instead prepping for the European Championship. Because, remember, they, they, they didn't play in the Tour Challenge. And, yeah, within a hair of winning a World Championship on the heels of an Olympic gold medal, this is... What more can we say about Anna Hasselberg and her crew? They're just a phenomenal curling team and have to be favored in this event uh, in Omaha going in. The World Cup event in Omaha will also see the next chapter in the long history between frenemies, Team Olsrud of Norway and Team Adina of Sweden, who are both in the same pool, which means they will play twice in Omaha. This will add to a total of 61 career meetings between the two skips, with Adin leading 34-27. to It's always nice when we get to watch talented rivals compete against each other, even if Team Olsrud doesn't play as much as they used to. There's that saying, game recognizes game, and, uh, and that's what you have with Nicodine and Thomas Alstrud. Now, of course, it can go the other way, and we've seen that as well. You can start to despise that other person or that other team. There's no shortage of those stories as well. So it just depends on personalities, doesn't it? And it's it's the same with curling as it is with everything else in life. Sometimes you get along with some people and you're fast friends, and some people, nope. Uh, you're just polar opposites, and it seems that uh, these two have been friends for a long time. They have delighted us with great, entertaining games, and they seem to be almost you know, as happy for the other guy when he wins as opposed to themselves. So it's been wonderful to watch that, and it's a, I think it's a great part of the sport of curling. Perhaps we see it a little bit more in curling than we do in a lot of other sports where 
coaches kind of demand that you dislike the other team. I mean, I just got through that with the Grey Cup where uh, Ottawa coach Rick Campbell said, you know, it's all right. I know these guys know each other and that, but what I, I told them and, and what I needed them to do through the playoffs was to not be in touch with them and to start hating those guys a little bit because, after all, what you're supposed to do is beat them. But I think in, in curling, you're in such close quarters. The game is, is a little more relaxed in pace, of course. You can converse a lot more. And so uh, you're either going to really get to know somebody and like them or really get to know them and, and dislike them. And for Nick Adid and Thomas Allstrude, I think it's pretty obvious that they, they like each other a lot. And, hey, you know what? As long as they keep giving us great games, great tussles, I'm fine. Whether, you know, they love each other or hate each other. Just play the game the way you do and give us the great entertainment. I'm good with it. And finally, Don, one of the things I like about the Curling World Cup is that they've integrated a mixed doubles event into the schedule. Not that it should make a difference to teams that are focused on their own games, but I'm wondering if you heard any of the players discussing the fact that at a World Cup, there are games from multiple events going on at the same time. There could be a mixed doubles game or two going on at the same time as a men's game, for example. Was this well received in the first leg in China, or did some of the players perhaps find it a bit of a distraction? Yeah, I don't think it was a distraction. Um, uh, vive la France, right? I mean, I looked out onto the ice and I saw, you know, uh, four traditional curling games sometimes in one mixed double. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, and and it's, a, it's a different kind of animal. I mean, sure, it's still, you know, uh, set the broom, take the shot, make the shot. Um, but it's, its pace is faster. We know that. It looks different when... You know, somebody shoots the rock, gets up immediately and starts chasing it so they can sweep it. So it looked different. And if you uh, just wanted some variety in your curling life, I think it added to it. I don't think anybody, I didn't hear a single complaint about that. And nobody was saying, hey, it's tough to follow or we should just only have doubles games at one time and traditional uh, four-member team games at the same time. So I think it, it dovetailed nicely. I think it uh, worked very well. Those games were off the ice before the other ones when they were playing at the same time. That's fine, too. So, uh, yeah, I think all in all it was received pretty well as mixed doubles begins to grow. It it's still wouldn't be my favorite type of curling, but uh, that's what Sujo did for me was I, I got a little more immersed in mixed doubles and watching it and and, and, and liking it more than I did before. And, and perhaps that's part of the design, too, now that I think about it, is if you're a traditional curling fan and you're still kind of waffling on the mixed doubles, this is a good way, isn't it, to, to have it out there at the same time as traditional curling, and, it, and you could at least have an eye on it, and, and maybe you win some people over that one. And that does it for the From the Hack podcast for week 16 of the 2018-2019 curling season. A big thank you to each of our guests, especially Christina Furlan, our special contributor. I'm Frank Rock, and this is From the Hack.